G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. On 2020 today, we're going to be speaking to Tony Huang, who is basically a pastor sharing the gospel in schools in Sydney southwest. And he's going to talk a little bit about his life and how he escaped a life of drugs to become a mentor in schools across Sydney south. Tony, welcome to 2020. Thanks for having me. Tony, what was life like growing up? You were one of 10 children. Your parents came to Australia with the dream for a better life, like most refugees. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think uh, it was um, difficult in in two senses. One was that uh, coming from a large family, it was kind of hard for mum and dad to track us. And uh, and secondly, what made it worse was that we weren't really well off. And so growing up, um, we tried to find different sort of ways to make ends meet, and um, especially seeing my parents struggle in that area. Um, you know, it, uh, it was kind of hard to see other kids have the things that they uh, needed and, um, you know, clothes that fit and food to eat at lunch. And, and so it was fairly difficult growing up seeing that and exposed to that. Um, but uh, what added to that, um, that, that pain, so to speak, was my father was an alcoholic. And so growing up, he was very abusive to my mum, my sisters, and, and even on me, which uh, really left a little void in my heart to, you know, have a desire to be accepted. And um, just, um, you know, I grew up feeling rejected, which uh, was difficult in, in those times in Cabramatta. And Cabramatta is quite a dangerous area. I guess back in those days, it was worse. You started dealing drugs as a teenager and you were jailed at just the age of 13. That's quite quite scary yeah. in a way. And some people might view that, that the problem started there at 13. But um, going back to the first question, that's where it all began for me, just wanting to be accepted by the streets of Cabramatta. You know, if you don't get acceptance at home, uh, then the streets will surely give it to you. Right? The, 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 uh, the attention that you're seeking. And so um, I eventually ended up dealing drugs, which... Uh, I made I made quite a few few uh, uh, friends as well as enemies doing that, and um, and so Cabramatta those days was just a normal just to hear sirens going off, you know, and and uh, gunshots, stabbings, and so it's just it was just the the natural thing, the normal thing growing up in in Cabramatta. I never went out of the area much, and so um, it was just a it was a difficult time. We're looking back now; it's different now, but. Um, yeah, being isolated and, and then locked up at 13 uh, for dealing drugs and getting involved with that kind of life, just things just obviously went from bad to worse just at a very young age. You moved out of home at 15 and by 16 you were making up to $10,000 a week as a dealer in Cabramatta. That's, I guess, back in those days, that's a lot of money. Yeah, and uh, I felt like I was on top of the world. And just as a young person, you know, having that kind of money, I brought everything that I ever wanted, and but there was still a, a deep void in my heart. You know, um, you know, we always think that if you had just had had a million dollars, everything would get better. But that wasn't the case for me. I I had uh, a lot of friends pass away. I had uh, 
had a few things going on, ripped off and bobbed by my own uh, best friend, $40,000, my brother-in-law, 20000 um, and so uh, really I, I traded that for the trust uh, that I had within my own family. My family started to fall apart. Um, you know, if you walk into my house, there would be like two or three padlocks on every single door and there was absolutely no trust in the home. And and uh, I was just, a, it was a sad state of existence. And even though I had a lot of money, I just, I really had nothing. By the age of 21, you actually overdosed on heroin. Yeah, it, um, you know, it was just, we we view it in a way that, you know, on the outside, I, I made I made it to look like I, you know, I had everything together, but inside I was falling apart, um, uh, getting locked, locked up at 14 and then coming out, I buy my first gun at 14 years old, I'm, uh, I move out of home at 15, I begin to make all this money, but um, along with that came a heroin addiction, and um, my friend started to pass away. I lost my best friend at 16 years old to a heroin overdose. And uh, eventually friends just started to drop like flies, some to murder, some to uh, overdoses. And that was just something that uh, I just thought this was just uh, my life, the cards that I've been dealt and just trying to do my best, make my way through uh, without dying, you know. When did the table start to turn? You, you say that you prayed to God as a child. You, you even went to church. Everything changed in February 2004. Tell us about that. Well, I, after nearly getting gunned down at 19, um, I started to think about my life. And um, throughout all this time, I went to church. I was raised in a religious home. Um, but uh, that's all it was. It was just rituals and religion um, up until... 21 years old, um, I knew if I continued on, I'd either end up dead or in jail. And so I went to the church where I was raised up at. And by this time, I've, 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 walk, I've worked at the Bullish Temple. I've, I've gone and done absolutely everything, um, searching for God. But I found myself on my knees crying out to God for a sign, just weeping and crying. I just said, God, if you're somewhere there, then please just give me a sign. And so the next day, I'm, I'm walking through Cabramatta, and there was the Potter's House. They were, they were, they were outreaching. I'd never seen this before in Cabramatta anyway. And so this guy handed me a flyer, and the flyer read, if you're looking for a sign from God, here it is. Mm. And so I'm standing there in awe. The very next day, I get this sign in the form of a flyer. I've got that framed up in my house today. And it was that day on the 8th of February, 2004, I just decided, you know what, God, I'm going to, lay down my life and live for you. And I'm not going back to that life. I'm, I'm making a decision to turn away. And that's exactly what I did. And here we are 12 years later. And an amazing story it is because now you're a pastor of the same church, Potter's House, where, where that amazing um, exchange with God happened. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, uh, three weeks after I got saved, um, uh, I was at a conference and God called me to preach the gospel. And I'm like, how can you use me? I'm, I'm a rat bag, you know. Um, but um, three years ago, um, I've got ordained, and um, we pioneered a church there in, in Liverpool, Sydney, southwest. And uh, we've seen a lot of young people come and um, people giving their lives to God. And the great thing is that uh, he says, go into all the world, and I feel like I go there into all the world every Sunday. Now, Tony, you're also not only a pastor, but you're also a mentor and you share your testimony in schools across the country. I understand you're due to come to Queensland. So if you'd like to know more about Tony's ministry, you can log on to tonyhawang.com.au. 
and the details will be online. We'll be back with part two of Tony's story on 2020 in a short while. Looking for something to get you thinking? Just thinking with Ravi Zacharias. Weekdays, part of 2020 with Neil Johnson. Details at vision.org.au. As we speak about all things education today and the post-election mayhem, we're also speaking to pastor and mentor Tony Huang and his work at the grassroots in schools across Sydney's southwest. Tony, let's get back to, I guess, your testimony. You, your story has featured actually on national documentaries. You say you want people to know the truth that Hollywood movies don't show. Yeah, and I think there's two sides to that Um because as young people grow up, they're 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 more more prone to not have the right role models. And I'm saying I'm not saying that that's for everyone, but um, for the experience that I've uh, you know with the, the students and the people that I've um, been mentoring, this has been the case. And so uh, they've looked towards Hollywood for their role models, and more often than not, the people that face the same issues with them. Uh, that as they do, that they begin to relate to. And so a lot of these films, a lot of these things glorify that kind of life, which is, it's not the reality of it. And so, uh, you know, when young people come and hear this story, they, and, uh, and, and for me to paint the, the dark side of it, of obviously my friends, um, dying and the scars that I live with today, it just gives a, re- a sobering reality to, you know, uh, young people that aspire to that kind of life, um, which Hollywood doesn't portray. You know, nowadays, uh, a lot of children, uh, they're, they're just locked up in their room and uh, without any sort of mentorship or any kind of advice from anyone. So our kids are being hijacked by the media, telling them what's cool, what to wear, how to act and what to listen to. And so that's a dangerous um, place for, for them to be. And so my goal is to be able to bring the reality of that and say that, you know, that's, that's not, it's not the case. It's not always a glorified life or never is a glorified life uh, living like that as they show on the media. Spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ is getting harder, especially in states like New South Wales where scripture in schools is unfortunately decreasing. You've taken a different tact by sharing your story. What is the reaction from students as you share your testimony? Um, it's positive, not only with the students, but with the um, staff. Because um, bringing my story uh, in, in an educational way to explain here are the real-life stories. I'm not um, watering it down or, or adding anything else to it, but um, I think that sets a platform just to be real with the students and speak from their level. Um, working in some high schools today, um, the way I see the strength of the school are, are highly dependent on, on the teachers and the principal. And so uh, without uh, going too deep in, in my own opinion about how schools are at now, but um, uh, the students in particular in the schools that I'm in uh, really relate to me and it sets up a place for me to just speak into their lives and give them the right... Uh, uh, guidance and advice and so I, I guess the Bible speaks about um, you've overcome by the blood and the word of your testimony um, people just can't argue against the changed life in, in, in which I stand uh, there is a as a miracle as an example 
For you and your transformation, I guess, and restoration, there's been some dark days, there's no doubt, and people can't begin to comprehend what it would be like who who have never tasted or tried drugs. How hard is it and how did Jesus come into that to become clean? I think one one of the things we neglect the most is, is our soul, is our spirit. And so we're, we're three-dimensional beings. We're, we're mind, we're body and soul. And so we do... Uh, emphasize on the in education, which is the mind, you know, we're, we're, especially us Asians, <laughs> they're like, you know what, you need to get a good education, and then we, we pursue that. And uh, secondly is our body, you know, we, we're into sport, our nation's into sport, we, we look towards that. But the most neglected area is our soul, and so we are spiritual beings. And I think without with that imbalance, um, you know, we have all these issues that, that stem from it. And so uh, the, the problem and how I got through it is to understand me as a, as a human being, uh, the structure and makeup of who I am, and finding that balance and really making right decisions to turn away from obviously things that are, are negative towards life. And so now I, I'm not only a pastor, I, I um, wear many hats in the community. I'm a drug educator, I mentor youth, and, and just seeing great outcomes and great results. Um, in and through people making the same choices and decisions as me. How how has your faith grown over over those twelve years since you've you've actually turned away from drugs? I guess it's um as as life goes on, we we experience um, heartache, we experience betrayals, and a lot of hurts, which um just creates layers within our heart to reject people that actually want to help us, and so. Uh, with me, um, when someone showed me love, I always wanted to ask what was their motive, what did they want from me. So, but um, coming to church and realizing that God uh, wanted to help me through people, uh, it was like He was, he was peeling those layers away f- uh, in my heart. My heart was like an onion, and just God just wanted to get into the the heart of hearts, and He pulled away the layers of um, of rejection and, and hate and drug addiction and. And all that, and every layer that I just surrendered to God to, He just began to change in me and transform my mind, my thoughts, and and uh, and standing, you know, right now as a as one that is totally set free. And I've always said it in my presentations: You lock me up today, I'll still be free, because that's the freedom that God has to offer. And uh, you know, we're living in a culture that doesn't understand it, that wants to marginalize that, and. And we're living in a culture that don't have answers towards drugs and drug policy and this and that. You know, we're we're, we're asking the wrong questions as a community, um, as a as a culture. Uh, we need to be asking why. And so that uh, that message, uh, I guess, we need to be projecting um, is two things. One is that uh, we need to be able to have the constant message of of stopping, not don't go there. And just like now with cigarettes, we understand that uh, the the message to, is is to quit, and that um, and everyone's on board with that. And when it comes to drugs, we're living in a society at the moment that is saying uh, you just use drugs, but use it moderately and use it safely, uh, which is creating a problem for us. And so we're not asking the reason. Why are people getting on drugs? And so uh, coming back to my story is that 
the reason why I got on drugs and why I experimented in that way is because I was looking for acceptance. And so this is where the the understanding of who you are as a being and getting yourself right and aligning yourself up with your creator is paramount in you understanding your role on this earth and um, and pursuing a, a fulfilled life, which involves repentance, which involves turning away from the the old life, and, uh, and which which is comes back down to a decision that everyone needs to make. But I guess the message needs to be uh, the same message two thousand years ago, which has been repent and, and turn from our wicked ways. And you've and certainly so, um, turned, Tony. That's amazing story. And I I now know that you're you're in your early thirties. You you now have a wife. You have four beautiful children. Yes. Wow. That's right. Finally, what message does your testimony bring to the next generation? What do you want the next generation to know? I want them to know that it's never too late to turn uh, and make some right choices. Um, that is one through this, you know, the story of my life. But more, more importantly, it's like what can our lives achieve if we would surrender it to God, uh, the impact that we can make within our own families, communities, and regions beyond. The message is that we need to be able to look beyond ourselves and into the hurt of other people and, and bring that that answer to their lives. And rather than patch them up with Band-Aids, we need to give them the solution. Now, Tony, I understand you, you travel quite a lot. You, you deal with students in Sydney Southwest. That's your main base. But you also travel and speak and, and share your testimony throughout Australia. Tell us there's some uh, an opportunity coming up in Queensland, I understand. Yes, and so on the 12th and 13th of August, I'll be coming down speaking at a couple of venues, but there, I believe that there is still a few open spaces for some schools if they want me to come and share my story. And so the story is more educational around drugs and alcohol. So if they are uh, open to that, then um, it's all funded by the Potter's House. And uh, feel free to drop me a line. Tony, we wish you well, and we want to thank you for joining us on 2020. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.